This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome back to a Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Medley, Sean McIndoo with you. Uh, for the next, I don't know, we'll call it an hour or so. We got a lot to get to. By the way, Jesse Granger and Little Granger Things uh, presented by BetMGM. Not going to be a part of the show today. Jesse is in New York living his best life covering uh, the, uh, the Golden Knights. So he's unavailable covering uh, some morning skates. But man, we got a lot to get to. Uh, including the Canucks. We keep thinking they hit rock bottom, but uh, maybe they reached a, <laughs> sunk to a new low on Wednesday night. We'll talk about Sean's 2025-2026 uh, team-building exercise, some new All-Star Game events, NHL 99, mailbag, lots of things to get to. Just uh, a but couple we, of 49ers fans talking Just a couple of, couple of 49ers fans. Uh, Die-hard 49ers fans. You're oh looking my. sharp, man. The new uh, Twitter avatar and everything. You're looking good. I got to tell you. This stupid Twitter avatar. And and look, can I get at least some credit? Like, I switched that avatar within 40 seconds of the game ending. It might have been quicker than that. Like, I yeah, think it, it was, was the final gun you yeah. uh, you you had it up there. I thought there was gonna it, be some arm twisting. Like I would have I would have stalled as long as possible, but I, I nope, full credit I, to you. I, I it's almost as if you had it ready to go like well in advance, as if you uh it, was it, it? Let me guess. When you saw Zeke line up at center, was that when you just went and hit the yeah, yeah, hit like, the button yeah, on the switch? Is, yeah, we're not even going to talk about that. Anyway, for the people who don't, re, uh, maybe you didn't tune in last week or you've forgotten. But basically, I'm a diehard Dallas fan. Sean's a huge 49ers fan. We said, look, the loser, whoever's team loses that divisional playoff game in the NFL, is going to change their Twitter avatar to the other team's logo. So I did that right away after the game. But I, can we just peel back the curtain a little bit and just I'd love to share. I don't. I don't know if I have it on me here. Yeah, I do have my phone with me. Um, you texted me at halftime of that game and went full reverse jinxy with. Sean, okay, here's the text at eight seventeen p.m., which I believe was at halftime. Sean texts me and says, "I don't feel good about this game at all," yeah. which is I feel like you. Do you just have that uh, text loaded in your? In I like, don't. Or is that? Is that I mean, in your apps? honestly, I don't feel good about anything at <laughs> yeah, all exactly. ever. So it wasn't, I wasn't really revealing yeah. information. And I was trying, I was, you know, I was trying to give you a little bit of a boost, a little bit of hope, right? Like, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a pessimist by nature, certainly when it comes to sports. A lifetime of being a Leafs fan will do that to you. Um, so, you know, I just I, I give you, I, I try to get a read on where you were at. And I think you like immediately shot me down that, uh, yeah, uh, it wasn't going to go so well for the Cowboys. And you were right. Once again, you were right in your analysis. Yeah. And so listen, so I switched my avatar this week to, to a 49ers avatar. The amount of, like, I've actually stopped, I've, I've dialed back my tweets because I'm like, every time I tweet, my mentions are filled with, <laughs> with whoa, what happened? Or who's that? Like, anyway, but you know what the most annoying thing is this week? I've got Eagles fans in my mentions being like, you're going down this week, man. Like they think I'm a 49ers fan. I love fan. it. I love oh, it. This is this it's is your uh, chaos. Oh, I'm I'm so excited. I'm I'm so happy for you. I mean, wouldn't don't we all have random Philadelphia sports fans yelling at us for no good reason? I mean, I yeah. feel like that's just that's just a typical part of your day to day life. So yeah, welcome to the bandwagon, man. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's 
got to be exciting for you, you know, and uh, what did we say? We said uh, we said 12 months, right? Was the, uh, no, the amount of time, yeah. I think we no, said. No, we said uh, one week. In fact, now, I don't know. What's the deal? Can I get rid of it before kickoff or do I have to wait through the NFC Championship game? I feel like one week. I feel like, yeah, you've, you've got you've to gotta keep it on there throughout the game and, and live tweet the game. As well. Oh yeah, exactly. No. Anyway, so anyway, as we're recording this, I'm wearing a Dallas Cowboys hat. Not that there's a, a video component to this, but but uh, I'm wearing a Dallas Cowboys hat in some vain attempt to sort of try to cancel out my 49ers avatar. But whatever, not gonna happen. No, it's uh, yeah. Hey, listen, it, it's it, like I've said to you many times. Being a Dallas Cowboys fan is the closest experience I can have to being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan because of just the, the, the extended kind of frustration in the playoffs and the disappointment and the large fan base and, you know, all the, all the stuff that goes with the Dallas Cowboys fan. I think a lot of it kind of goes with being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, which leads me to this. Uh, did you get a chance to watch the Harold Ballard documentary that was uh, done by Jason Priestley and on uh, CBC last week? I did not, and I'm kind of ticked off at myself for for missing it because I've heard I've heard from a few people that it was it was quite well done and and uh, quite I guess enlightening for a lot of people who maybe either don't know Harold Ballard or maybe know of him because you know Leaf fans like me who are always complaining uh, about Harold Ballard and you're sort of like oh gee I mean every doesn't every fan base of a losing team hate the owners? Was he really that different? And if you saw the documentary, apparently, hopefully you came away with an appreciation for the fact that for once, us Leaf fans are not just overhyping and overselling something. Uh, this guy really was uh, solidly in the running, I would say, for worst sports owner of all time. Yeah, and it, 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 look, it's a short list. And if you want to put like Marge Shot on there or... Uh, Charlie Finley, who used to own the Oakland A's, or you know, uh, look, Dan Snyder is probably on. Uh, look, there, there's, there's certainly a Mount Rushmore. Blackhawks fans would throw the words. Uh, words word family, Otto, there, Ottawa yeah. fans would throw mm -hmm. Eugene Melnick in there. Like there, Might, yeah. like there's certainly no shortage of of potential, um, you know, candidates to get on the Mount Rushmore. What I will say for our audience uh, listeners in Canada that are listening to us, and this includes you, obviously, Sean, is you can watch this documentary. You just have to download the CBC uh, Gem app uh, onto your TV or your, your phone, and you can watch it uh, at any time. So uh, I highly encourage it if you're a younger fan. Like Sean said, if, if you're a younger hockey fan, uh, I think you're going to be really shocked by some of the like kind of the, the zaniness, the craziness. And I think it's, if you're it's old cartoonish enough- cartoonish almost. Yeah. It, it's some of- Like you some can't of, believe He's it. almost cartoonishly evil in some ways. He's legitimately evil in some other ways, but there are, you know, some of the stuff where you're just like in, if it happened in this era, you'd say that he was trolling. You know, like that concept didn't really exist back in the 70s and 80s. You were just being a jerk. But like, you know, today it's done and you pretend you're doing it ironically and it's it somehow gets to another level. But- you know, shutting yeah. off the water fountains and uh, putting the the wrong colored names on the back of the jerseys and all of this stuff. Uh, he he was he was a character, and for for once, I don't mean that as a compliment. No, and so look, if, if you're gonna watch this, I think you're if you're a younger sports fan, you're gonna really in, like just be shocked by it. And if you're you know kind of like Sean and I, like we're in our forties, and you know that was kind of our youth was growing up, and in, in, in kind of our earliest memories of hockey were 
the Harold Ballard Leafs. And, and we probably at the time didn't quite, like we knew that this was kind of this cantankerous, weird, eccentric old man. But now with the benefit of hindsight and, you know, you, you can just watch it. You'll, you'll really appreciate it. Um, I, anyway, so uh, for, for anybody listening in Canada, you can download that uh, CBC Gem app. Uh, watch it anytime you want. And it's, uh, it's certainly interesting. Now, Vancouver fans would probably raise their hands right in the here and the now. As we sit here and talk in January of 2023, Vancouver fans would probably say, you know, we feel like our owner, uh, Francisco Aquilini, is on the list of the, you know, kind of most hated owners in, in the NHL in the here and the now. And we've had so many of these kind of rock bottom moments for the Canucks this season. I want to ask you about this one that played out last night uh, in, of all places, Climate Pledge Arena, Sean, in, in Seattle. Look at the, the Seattle Vancouver- fans dropping yeah. in. Nice, so, nice work. Yeah, let, let, let's talk this out. So if, if, if people didn't see this or didn't hear this, Vancouver plays in Seattle Wednesday night, and it's a beatdown. The Kraken take them down 6-1. Late in the game, while the score is 6-1, you hear the chant of Bruce, there it is. That's the you know the old Bruce Boudreau um, song that they would serenade uh, the old Vancouver coach with. Bruce, there it is. And they started saying that at Climate Pledge. Here's my question. Was that Kraken fans trolling the Canucks? Or were there enough Vancouver fans? It's a short drive, two and a half hours uh, down the I-5. Um, were those enough Canucks fans in the building kind of just venting their frustration with with their own team? Like, like take me through. Who was yelling, I, Bruce, there it is last night? I, I mean, you say it's a short drive, two and a half hours. Are there really a lot of Canuck fans that are driving two and a half hours to go see <laughs> right <now. laughs> Vancouver? Like, right now, like, hey, guys, we got to... Boy, we, we wouldn't want to miss this. Uh, <laughs> maybe, you know, Rick Tocchet's maybe if you bought your, This could be Christmas. This, we're in the Christmas you know, window. Don't, don't sleep on people buying Christmas gifts for other, like the friends and family. And yeah. say, hey, next month, a month from now, we're going to go down to Seattle for the Canucks game. It's it's possible. I won't rule it out. And I guess we, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see this. Uh, we'll see as they go on the road. Later this week, I think New Jersey is the next uh, the next game up. I, maybe we'll see if this continues because, you know, it's been kind of fascinating because there's two theories about this chant. The first theory is that it was, again, trolling. This is this was Seattle fans making fun of, of Vancouver and, and Vancouver fans and the coaching situation. And the other theory is that it was more of a like a tribute. This is this is almost like a protest chant. This is Seattle fans saying we also watch the whole Bruce Boudreaux story unfold. And we didn't like how he was treated. And we're yeah. going to, you know, and, and there's some overlap there, right? I mean, because you're kind of, it, it would be a chance for the fans to sort of say, hey, we're going to we're gonna throw this cheer up for this popular coach that you guys just got rid of in the most screwed up way possible. Um, and, and, and that it, it all reflects so badly on your organization. I it, Like, that's the fun interpretation. You know, trolling's great. You know, a good, uh, good organized uh, fan versus fan rivalry is nice, um, but I, I, I'm more curious to see that. And I'm curious to see what happens now, looking ahead in New Jersey on the next road game, because Jersey fans have already, you know, they've acquitted themselves pretty well on the chanting front this year, right? They had the fire Lindy With coaches, and yeah. then the sorry Lindy, yeah. right? This is, uh, and you know, we know, uh, hey, 
we know that Jersey fans can chant, and Gary Bettman knows it too, because he got uh, you know he got it with both barrels from them years ago uh, back in the day. So uh, you know, let's see, let's see if this becomes a thing. That uh, you know, imagine if Vancouver is going around the rest of the season, <laughs> and everywhere they go, people are chanting for Bruce Boudreau. I mean, they got uh, they're they're doing the it's they've they've got Columbus at home uh, tomorrow, and then it's uh, after the All Star break. So we got a little time for this to dissipate, but then it's it's. Uh, uh, New Jersey, both the New York teams and Detroit. Let's see. Maybe by then we've all moved on and uh, to the next thing. But uh, yeah, it was. It's interesting, and I'll tell you, um, it's good news for the Canucks and their players and the coaching staff that we're talking about that and not how terrible they looked. Did you see Rick talking after the game? I no, I did. I didn't see Rick talking after. He, the like game. just just in his his post game comments, like he already looked like he's really regretting things like he was just sort of there was one clip where they asked him like like what happened and he just he was speechless literally he was just didn't have anything to say and and made some comments uh also about you know hey i was warned coming in here that this team can't do two good games in a row of course they'd won the first game uh under rick Tockett uh, over chicago so it barely counts but um and he also called his team soft uh which is a tough card to play two games in um you know, I, I think Rick Tockett can probably get away with that where some other coaches couldn't because, you know, we saw his playing career and he, he certainly wasn't a soft player. So he he's he knows what he's talking about. But, yeah, for him to get out there and say, I hate to call my team soft, but that was a soft performance. That's it's a little bit rough. I wonder, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's if you're a Vancouver fan, maybe you're saying, yeah, this team needs some tough love. This team needed to hear it straight. So uh, maybe that's the the upside of it. But uh, it was. You, 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 the the honeymoon already seems to be over uh, between between Rick Tockett and and his team, if not the fan base. Man, yeah, I mean, two games in, he's already pining for the the TNT panel again, uh, wondering mm-hmm. what he's done. But like, we we knew this was going to be a messy situation uh, in Vancouver. It wasn't going to be like Tockett comes in, like like Boudreaux kind of did that last year, though, right? He came in and he he turned it around right away. And well, and they uh, they sort of set it up, right? I mean, yeah, part of part of why Boudreaux was left to twist in the wind. I mean, not for the two months, but for the last week was they had Colorado, Edmonton, Tampa, Carolina. They were going to probably lose all those games. And, and they did, with the exception of a shootout win uh, against the Hurricanes. And then you've got Chicago, Seattle, Columbus coming up. That's at least two very winnable games. You want to get the guy off to a good streak before the All-Star break. Um, but uh, this this was going to be a tough one, and it looked really tough. I, I mean, that... The, it's not often that you lose six to one and the score maybe even flatters you a little bit, but that might have been the case last night. Vancouver fans or w- whatever, they, they were yelling Bruce, there it is, in the best. Fans were yelling Bruce, there it is, inside uh, Seattle's rink yesterday. Can I ask this? And you're, you're obvi- you obviously watch every Leafs game or most Leafs games, home and road, and, and you're, you're paying attention to this team. When, and, and I've never heard this chant in Ottawa where you think it might happen. Even I know there's a lot of Leafs fans that come to games, but there's still a lot of Ottawa fans. Like, why is it that when the Leafs go on the road, we never hear like a 67 chant, like 67. And I'll tell you why, because remember when the Rangers were going through that long stretch before they won in 1994, and I know a lot of it started with the Islanders, but sometimes they would go on the road and teams would chant 1940 and Mm -hmm. just kind of a reminder. 
Am I wrong on this? Does nobody chant sixty-seven at the Maple Leafs? I've, or I've am heard I, it, does it but it, cer- it certainly isn't it isn't a thing the way the nineteen forty chant was. I mean, that yeah. was something where if you were, you know, if you're an Islanders fan, you're going to the Ranger game, you know that you're, you know, you're you're saving up the the lung power because you know you're going to be hitting them with that. It doesn't seem to be that way for the Leafs, and I think you you hit on the reason, which is the the rivalry games where you would expect it, places like Ottawa, Montreal. Even Vancouver, half the building is Leaf fans. So you know you you can start it, but they you know they'll they'll come back after you. Not to mention that I mean who's who's going to chant sixty? A Canucks fan? I mean they haven't won a cup since nineteen seventy. The Senators don't have any Stanley Cups. I guess that the Habs could hit them with it, but uh, yeah, it's 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 you would think you'd you'd hear it a little bit more often. Um, but uh, I, I guess the fact that Leaf fans travel so well and uh, half the time they, they seem to take over the building, maybe there's there's just there's just not enough uh, of the hometown fans to uh, to really get it going without getting drowned out. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like, it's, it's, yeah, when they come to Ottawa and I know when they go to Western Canada, it feels like the building is at least, if not 40, 50 percent full, sometimes even a little bit more. So, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. that's uh, maybe that's what, and you're right, too. Like, I, I mean, I guess I could. OK, I'm going to throw out a team here. And you tell me if they would it, like. I'm just gonna throw out a couple of teams. You tell me if they would have the green light to okay. chant 67 mm-hmm. when the Leafs roll into town. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna start with this Calgary. Yeah, I mean, they've only got the one, but you know they've got the one in '89, much more recent. I feel like that would be okay. I, you know, I I don't know that Calgary wants to be dabbling in the like Stanley Cup trash talk, but uh, I mean they've got one more in my lifetime, so. I mean, it's 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 kind of a pale green light. Okay, uh, it's a, yeah, it's like one of those greens that turns to a yellow, and you decide to go through. That's, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's it. yeah. Yeah. Um, Edmonton. Yeah, I mean, I think Edmonton could could get away. As bad as it's been for the last thirty years now in Edmonton, they, I mean, they've got five of those banners hanging there. I, I do feel like you could get there again. You're getting a little into, you know, well, we're going to chant at you for, you know, your lack of success over the years when when you've had a 30-year dry spell. That, it gets a little dicey, but nobody ever said that uh, a good fan chant had to be completely logical. Okay. The Islanders have been great over the years. Their fans are passionate. We've seen them yell at John Tavares. Could Islanders fans get away with chanting 67? Again, a lot of the same logic, even longer yeah. than uh, with the Oilers. This one, to me, I don't want to hear a 1967 chant from Islander fans because they've got something more recent to hang their head. They've got the Tavares thing. They've, uh, you know, we've we've seen them going going over that. That that to me is 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 more of a more of a thing that uh, that is deserving of their eye. You know, a little bit more modern. I I just feel like if you're put it this way, you're going to chant 1967 at the Leafs. You need to have seen a Stanley Cup in your lifetime. So, you know, even even the kids in Edmonton and the Islander fans are, are, are you know, getting into shaky territory. Um, but, uh, you know, just like before the Rangers won their cup or before the Blackhawks got there, it's like I wouldn't have been chanting at them about their drought. Like, oh, you know, hey, 1940, we won one 27 years after that. Yeah, but you weren't around for it. So it's, uh, you know, it's either yes in your lifetime or no. Uh, okay. So that's why I'm not. Yeah, hit me with the next one. Okay, the last one here. This is the yep. super gray area because they won multiple Stanley Cups. Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, geez. I mean, you're going back to the. You, we're in the mid '70s now. Uh, so I was. You know, were you like I wasn't alive 
for either. I wasn't born no. when the Flyers no, won either I of their have been. cups. No, I wouldn't right. have been. Uh, so, uh, uh, so you got to be I older mean, than us. You got to be pretty so, much. That's going back so late far. And there's so much history. 50s. There's yeah. so much history between the two teams. I mean, I I don't know that you're talking about a team that has now. I mean, they're they're coming up on 50 years, right? I mean, they're they're not that far away. Uh, the Flyers from hitting a 50 year drought. Now I know you could say, well, they've been to the finals six times or whatever it is since then and lost every time, whereas the Leafs haven't even been that far. But still, I don't know that that the chant really works for them. Oof. Boston yeah. Bruins could get away with it. The Bruins are the one that I feel like it's a slam dunk, right? Because there you've got even the you know even the kids in the crowd have, have maybe been around for for that Stanley Cup. I oh, feel like man, that one that, works okay. Yeah, that's the. I mean, Boston fans can. They, I feel you can still break sport. out. Thank you, Kessel. Uh, that yeah. one works too. You had an interesting uh, exercise that you did this week uh, with the Athletic, which was, and you did this a few years ago, but you basically said, "I'm going to play." pretend general manager. I'm going to build a team for the 25-26 season. So down the road, basically three years from now. And the the kind of caveat to this is you're going to build a roster. You're going to fit it under what we project to be the salary cap of about, what, $92 million, um, for for that season. I went with, that was what Elliot Friedman had reported. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and you're going to only take contracts that are uh, running through that season. So like you can't take, for example, uh, I'm going to use an Ottawa guy, like Jake Sanderson, for example, who's on an entry-level deal. Well, you, you don't know what that next deal is going to be. Or like a Connor Bedard, you're like, oh, I'll take Connor Bedard. Well, no. Like you, you can only use guys whose contracts run through 25, 26. And on the surface, you would think, okay, well, this could be easy. Like I'm going to easily put together a team. I, you're telling me I could pick anybody in the league and kind of cherry pick a roster? Like this is going to be easy. But then when I looked at your roster at the end of it, and I'll let you explain kind of how you came through this, I'm like, okay, that's a good team, but it's not like a, I don't know that that's a definite lock it in, they're winning the Stanley Cup, right? It, it's it's a lot tougher than it sounds. Uh, yes. And, and again, like, you know, I'm only using contracts three years in the future, so I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to project the future a little bit. Um, there's more contracts than you would think. I, I mean, there's something like close to 200 guys in the league who are signed through three years from now. But the problem is, an awful lot of them you don't want. Like, they're they're just total non-starters. You, you're not going anywhere near that contract. Um, and, and you wouldn't go near it today. And then a lot of them, maybe you take it today, but three years from now, you know, you, you, when someone's going to be on the wrong side of 30, you're not interested then. So you don't get any of those nice entry-level deals. You don't get any of those nice bargain short veteran contracts like the Patrice Bergeron or, or something like that. Um, and you don't get any of the the contracts that we look at today as as being discounted deals like Nathan McKinnon, David Pasternak, you know, those those are all expiring this year. So they're long gone. Um, yeah. It's tough. And then you're trying to fit it under a $92 million cap. If I got to sit down and say, make an all-star roster out of the guys who were assigned three years from now, I could still do it. You, you, you know, you there's there's players that you would definitely take. But I blow past the salary cap. And uh, it is, it's interesting because it, it does give you a sense of how tough it is to get these teams under the cap. Obviously the fact that I don't have any entry level deals at all, whereas you know most NHL teams have at least a couple of them makes it in a sense, even tougher, but I get to pick anybody I want. So you would think you'd be able to come up with pretty close to an all-star team. And uh, it just doesn't work out that way. You, you just can't fit guys under the cap, partly because 
there are so few guys that would be considered bargains. You know, I mean, every team has a couple of guys that make a million bucks or two million bucks against the cap. And and even if they're, you know, even if that's what they deserve, they're not necessarily star players, but you need a few guys like that to make room for your big tickets. And there's a handful of guys, but there's not many. Like, I mean, nobody's signing a five-year contract that pays them a million bucks a year. That just doesn't, that doesn't happen. If you're, generally speaking, if you're a player at that range of the cap hit, you're getting a short-term deal and you don't get a long-term deal unless it's big, big money. So it's something I did four years ago, uh, projecting ahead to the 21-22 season. And then last year I looked at it and said, okay, how did I do? You know, and, and I think I did okay, but I wanted another crack at it. And, uh, you know, it's still, it's still tough. Yeah. I like, I mean, I'm looking at you gold. I, I, I'm thinking, wow, okay. you must have. All right. Now you're going to. Okay. All right. Let me no, hear. No. What's it? I thought it, I'll be honest. I thought, okay, yeah. you're going to put Vasilevsky in there, right? Because he signed through that, mm-hmm. that season. Yep. Yep. Um, but, um, but, but when you start to build the team, you think, mm-hmm. ah, man, I, uh, you know what? I, I'm like, I, I can see why you didn't go with him, but You've like, got us. Yeah. He's, he's, he's signed, but he signed at 9.5 million, I believe. Uh, and, and he's going to be, you know, this three years down the road, he's going to be, I mean, what is he? He's in his late 20s now, so I think he'll be on the wrong side of 30 by by then, which for a goaltender, not the end of the world. But it's it's tough. You know, you, you look around the NHL today, you don't see a lot of teams building with 10 plus million dollars in goal that are having success with it. So, you know, I, I ended up going a little bit cheaper, uh, which meant, you know, no, no Vasilevsky, no yeah. Carey Price, obviously. Sergei Bobrovsky didn't even didn't even think about. I, I I guess what I could have done is gone Vasilevsky and then gone as cheap as possible on a backup. That would have been my other option. But that still would have caught the cheapest goalie that was available uh, was two million bucks. So that's you know that's eleven and a half million on goaltending if you go Vasilevsky. It's tough. That comes out of all the other spots that are even tougher to fill. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, look, it's a fun exercise. I know um, the comment section is filled with people saying, oh, I, I would, you know, plug in this guy for that guy, that whatever. Yep. And it's a fun exercise, but it really, I was shocked. I'll be honest. I thought when I saw the, the article, I thought, man, this guy's just going to put together like this elite roster. What's the point of this? And then you, you kind of get down to the bottom and you see your your roster. Like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good team. Don't get me wrong. It's mm-hmm. a good team. But I'm like, man. I don't and know. I'll tell you, like, I, here, here's my, here's my only thing is if you're going to sit there and say, all right, I'm, you know, I could, I could do this better than, than Sean could. Maybe you could, uh, you know, I've, every time I do something like this, there are people who sit down and they go through the same exercise. And a lot of times they'll come up with something and go, and I'll sit there and go, yeah, you know what, that, that, that did look better. And I've already had a few people say, well, you know, if you, if you bring in this guy, it, that'll save you a couple of bucks here. And you could put that to, to this. All I'm saying is if you're going to do it, you got to do the whole thing. Don't just get started. And once you've got two lines in your top pair and you're starting goalie, go, oh, this is easy. And then be done with it. And go, you know, Sean's an idiot. How come he didn't have all these guys on there? You got to do the whole thing, especially when you get down to that fourth line and you've got uh, you yeah. know, no money left to spend. And there's just everybody on the list makes $3 million plus uh, that uh, suddenly that you're looking for. There's there's just no way to do. You, you can't do, for example, what the Toronto Maple Leafs have done for years with their big four up front and just have a very, very cheap bottom six, right? You just get guys 
you get Jason Spezza playing for the minimum, you get guys brought in on on PTOs and everything and hope you find bargains. It's not how it works. Can't do it with this. There, there just aren't any of those bargains out there. So just, you know, all I'm saying is don't come up with a top six that's all all-stars and then roll your eyes and wonder why I, I wasn't able to figure out to do that too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, look, you talk about all-stars. Uh, we got to hit on this. So earlier this week, so the NHL all-star game, of course, will take place next weekend, not this weekend, next weekend uh, in, uh, in Sunrise, Florida. And the league announced today that the skills competition is going to have a very distinct Florida feel to it, Sean. And I'm just going to walk the listeners through. I'll tell you what, there's three, we're going to have the usual, you know, fastest skater, hardest shot, you know, all that accuracy shooting. We're going to have all that. Okay. But there's three new events that are being added. And I need you to help me kind of wrap my head around this a little bit. And again, this is the all-star game. We're not trying to take this too seriously. I, and I, I like it. We, we we sometimes criticize this league for not going outside the box. And they go outside the box. We're like, I can't believe how stupid this is. So look, mm-hmm. I, I know it all and all. Okay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna start with this event. And I'm gonna actually give because I'm gonna use the official NHL like uh wording here on this as I describe this to the listeners. Okay. The first event that you're gonna see next weekend or one of the events you're going to see that you've never seen before, it's called the Enterprise NHL Discover Slapshot. See, I'm even giving the corporate names. Yeah. I'm giving them their full due. The Enterprise NHL Discover Splash Shot. Here's what it is. The competition takes place on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. The ocean spray, breeze, and sand add to the challenge of this exceptional skills event. There will be eight shooters, four teams, uh, pairing off players. It's a single elimination tournament with a head-to-head player competition where players are required to hit all the targets before attempting to dunk their opponents and the the player that dunks their opponent first wins. So I get this is like basically a dunk tank, right? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. A dunk tank. So you're firing pucks out into the ocean. Hitting now, targets, are they, here's my question. Are they being dunked into the ocean or just dunked into a traditional dunk tank? Because I'm thinking if you were at the question. ocean, wouldn't you just go ocean? That's a good question. I assume dunk tank. I, I mean, this is this is all we need is you know, <laughs> Austin Matthews lost at sea because the, the NHL went and got clever on uh, a dunk tank thing. I, I mean, I, yeah, it's it's you would think. You would think that you just dunk them in the ocean, put them put them way up high at the top of some water slide or something, and uh, and uh, fire them on down. Okay, uh, we should cautionary tale. The last time a league held a skills event for the All Star Game on sand was the NFL about twenty oh, no. years ago. Remember, oh, remember no. New, Eng- yes. New England Patriots running back Robert Edwards took yes. part in a. They thought. Wouldn't it be fun if the rookies played a game on the sand? Robert Edwards blows out his ACL, right? Yep, that's right. It was never the so same. So just cautionary tale for sand. You think it's sand? Ocean spray, breeze, and sand is how they're describing it. Yeah. Just a little cautionary tale. Adds to the challenge. That's good. Are they going to make them wear like full uniforms and skates out there? That would be fun, right? Like they got to. Really embrace the absurdity of it all. Oh, like being in the like uh, like what will they be wearing in the dunk tank? That's a, I want to see the guy in the dunk tank wearing like full uniform and skates. Yeah. Oh man, I never even throw thought a goalie of that. in there. 
Oh, man. But no, the goalies have their own thing. Okay? Yeah. We you know what's going to be rough is when is when they go, they aim for the dunk tank uh, target and like the, the puck just like ticks off of it and then we got to do an eight-minute replay review to find out the, oh that God. that's going to be... But you got to get it right, Ian. Ian, you got to get it right. <laughs> do, do you feel like... What are the percent chances that, that for this event, Gary Bettman's going to be there like kind of with... Uh, like a blue dress shirt that's like kind of rolled up sleeves, uh, you know, kind of trying to look relaxed, like yacht casual watching this whole thing. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, he should. Yeah, I well, want to okay. see it. Well, Sunglasses. Right now, what's Gary, ba- he's going to be there. So what's he wearing? What's Gary wearing? Have we ever seen Gary Bettman not wearing a suit other than the that very first press conference where they put him in the, giant jersey that was three sizes too big <laughs> and the ridiculous baseball cap i feel like the moment he got off stage on that he was like never never again. never again so i'm now i'm picturing like you know like a half dozen dudes like wearing like the beach shirts and holding the drinks and everything and then like gary bettman just sitting between them still wearing like the full formal suit nope he's not wearing look he's not gonna wear a suit he's gonna wear i think maybe he goes golf shirt think Maybe he goes golf. I'm now intrigued right? by maybe by that a little bit more than the uh, than the actual. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, actual... I'm, I'm going to be paying attention. Have you? Uh, side note: Have you ever seen NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell wear anything other than that, like kind of quarter zip up sweater? Yeah, that's that's his. That's go-to. his thing. That's, that's his. his go- I respect. Uh, we've all got the favorite sweater to go to. And now here, here's my question: How much would we have to pass the hat to collect to get Gary Bettman into the dunk tank? Oh, into the and, dunk. T- Yo, and, gee, and wh- like imagine, I mean, well, hey, we have a problem getting players to go to the All-Star weekend. I'm just saying, you tell him Gary Bettman's going to be in the dunk tank and suddenly Ovechkin's like, you know what? My shoulder is okay. I think I'm going to go this uh, this week. I mean, the lineup for that event, uh, I mean, that might be the, you, you, I mean, you'd have ex-players trying to get in. Oh there. my, my Chris God. Chris Chelios Who, is sneaking Who's that in pushing and, to the front of the line? Of the Alan Walsh, what are you doing yeah. here? Oh, interesting. Hmm, okay, yeah. <laughs> hey. Oh my god. Yeah, you know yeah, what? This uh, the, the guy who set up the dunk tank. He was a, <sighs> I don't know. He was a guy named Rob Goodnow, and he said it was. He said it was fine. He said it should be safe. I don't know why the water's boiling, but uh, we're told that's okay. Oh man, there's a joke in there too about Batman not believing in tanking that we could cut. cut there kind is. Of work there in, absolutely right? is. You know what? Yeah, that's, work that yeah. in. The, the 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 tank. That's it. With Gary that's Bettman. why. That's why he's not going to do it because he doesn't believe in tanks. I, just, I don't believe in tanks. Yeah, at all. yeah. he's out. So, but you'd be like Gary. It's right in front of you. Like we can yeah. all see it. And he's like, I don't see it. No, I don't, I don't see it. it. I don't think any of it. In fact, I have a survey here that says it doesn't exist. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, two other events that you're going to see in addition to this dunk tank. We introduce our listeners to the Chipotle NHL Pitch and Puck. I had to be careful about how I said that. Yeah, uh, the NHL pitch and puck. Okay. So, again, I'm going to just read off the official list, uh, press release. Using a combination of hockey and golf shots, six NHL All-Stars will play a par four featuring an island green. Lowest score wins the uh, competition. The player who successfully sinks the puck slash ball in the hole with the fewest shots, will be declared the winner. Now, help me out here. What what is this puck slash ball? Yeah, like what does that that's, mean? That's what I want to know. Like, are, <laughs> do they actually? They make it sound like there's some gonna like hybrid 
They, like, is this I'm Happy assuming, Gilmore? I, I'm, is that I'm what assuming this is? that they're going to like golf the the ball onto the green and then make like a shot from there. Is that, or do you do it the other I, way? Are you shooting the puck onto the green and then and then putting? Well, you yeah. can't. You can't. They're like whoever successfully sinks the puck or ball into the hole. You can't put a puck into a golf hole like easily, can you? Like I. That's true. Yeah, that's. I, I mean, you. It's it's got to be. You it's know, gotta it's be, gotta be specially designed larger hole or something. Uh, and I don't know how much. Yeah. Do you think they've reached out to Adam Sandler to come and and I hope and so. Happy Gilmore, this thing. Yeah. Find out. Uh, get get Bob Barker out here and uh, let's uh, let's let's reenact. Uh, yeah. That I mean, th- this sounds cool, and yet as a hockey fan, I'm like this this is going to be a disaster. Like I'm assuming all of these are going to be pre-taped like, like it was last year. Remember in, in Vegas with the, where they were shooting the cards and uh, we weren't supposed to notice that it was like nighttime for the skills competition. And then it was like daylight whenever they, they cut outside the arena, but they should do it that way. Cause you need some editing. You need to cut this together because even, even last year, the, the them shooting the cards was like filled with, awkward banter and long pauses. I can only imagine if it had been live. So this, I like the concept. I'm given credit for the creativity, but the, the MVP is going to be the editors who have to take this and cut it down into something that, uh, that looks interesting. Okay. Last thing is the discover NHL tendy tandem, tendy tandem, meaning the Mm goaltenders. All right. So here's how it works. Eight NHL all-star goalies, will take part in this. One goalie from each division will be designated the shooting goalie, and one of them is the the in-the-net goalie. Uh, The shooting goalie from a division will take a shot from a designated mark. Three points will be earned uh, if the shot goes in the hole. Two points if it hits the net on target. No shot if you miss completely. Uh, And then the the in-the-net goalie will face the players, depending on some shot. Anyway. We're going to be looking at goalie shooting here. Um, right. I, now, which, I don't again, know. Again, I like the creativity. I like that there's kind of like a Price is Right vibe here where it's there, there's kind of the two sections and you're earning how many shots you get at the, uh, you know, on the other side. Uh, Boy, we're, you know, we're just full of the Bob Barker uh, references here. I'm all, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, here's the thing, though. Here's, here's the, the flaw with this concept that I don't think it's going to be able to recover from is that when you hear 10 D tandem, eight goalies work in tandems, one shooting and the other in net. Do you not immediately think that we're getting a two V two all goalie tournament? In my mind? Yes. Yes. And once you find out it's not that, I feel like the, the, the rest of it, once you feel like they're just shooting it, once you find out they're shooting at targets and no, I want to see, 2v2. I want to see Stuart Skinner and Logan Thompson out there, like, you know, one in goal, one skate, or even, you know, what? Two of them, two of them in goal. I'd, I'd even let them like two on two and then put a player in that with no padding or anything. Like, let's see how they like it. You tell me these guys wouldn't love to wind up and fire a few at, uh, at some players. Like, you know, what's, what's the downside of that? Okay. Catastrophic injury. Yes, absolutely. But other than yeah. that, the entertainment value would be off the charts. And I just, I, every time I hear this concept, I, I'm thinking 2v2 
goalies and full pads tournament. Yes, I'm in a hundred percent. And then when it's not that, I just I can't I can't revive my sense of uh excitement. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I'm but do you think that there would ever be like would you watch okay, if they wanted to get goalies in and shooting, would you rather that there would there be a shooting competition from their own own net? You have to shoot two hundred feet down the other net, but get it into like you know, maybe there'd be certain holes at the like. Well, they, would they that did be, that, right? Didn't they do they that did? a few years ago? I seem to remember oh, gosh, Mike. Smith, I have no like, recollection of that. Like just, uh, just dunking with like he he was able to hit the uh, the little target, and that's that's cool. No, I, but I want to see a goalie go the length of the ice and you know put a move on. Uh, it, it would have to be a player because you can't score on a goalie as a goalie because you, you're just not you don't have enough. Uh, but against somebody who wasn't in pads. Yeah, I mean, let them uh, let them do, it. and then you know it'd be fun, right? Because you you know Austin Matthews goes out to stand in the net, and then the goalies could all get together and say, no, no, his shoulder pads are too big. We got to reduce those. Let's all let's measure them, and you know all the stuff they could send a goalie to go like stand right in his crease and uh, get in his way. All the things that goalies can't stand, and then Austin Matthews, as soon as they came in on him, would just like accidentally bump the net <laughs> off and be like, oh, yeah. what a shame. Oh. I, I, I think you could have a lot of fun with this. Again, other than the fact that it, there would be like shredded ACLs all over the ice. Um, other than that, I, I'm willing to risk it. Let's, uh, let's do it. Okay. Final Price is Right uh, reference of this podcast, I promise. Yeah, no promises. Uh, unless there's a Plinko reference later. But when you were a kid and you were sick and you missed a day of school, were you watching The Price is Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, is it, the weirdest thing is that uh, and again, we're in our 40s. Like we kind of grew up 80s into the yeah. 90s. There's three um, TV channels, and they all had the prices right on. Yeah, I feel I like every kid who was sick between yeah. like 1985 and 1995 that missed school was like like I feel like 80 percent of the ratings of the Prices Right was just sick kids from elementary yeah. school or high school. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't even know why they made a new episode every day. They could have just made six episodes and just yeah. rerun them at different times. And your odds are that you, you know, you weren't, you weren't going to run into the same one twice. Yeah. And the weird thing is that I'd be yelling out like, at like the price of baking soda. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. You had no like, idea. You know, you just that? like, you know, they'd come out and be like, all right, here's yeah. uh, you know, here's some cornstarch. And you'd be like $40. I don't know. I have absolutely <laughs> no clue. Exactly. Uh, you know, let's just, let's, I, I just want to see the little yodeling guy go up the mountain. Oh, yeah, we got it. You know, we should be using that as a background sound next time we, we have uh, some some segments there. The the yodeling uh, yodeling uh, guy. Okay, uh, last thing I want to hit on before we open up the mailbag, uh, we're getting down to the top ten in the NHL ninety nine series, and of course, I think this is the point. Look, there's been debate throughout. This is where I think you're starting to really see some people say like, oh, this guy shouldn't be top 10. This guy is top 10. Your piece uh, this week had uh, the first guy in the top 10, the guy that comes in at number 10, at Raymond Bork. And really cool article. If you haven't uh, read it, uh, Sean decided to go with uh, basically here's Ray, Ray, of course, for the majority of his career, uh, war number 77. Sean's like, here's 77 reasons why Ray Bork uh, belongs in the top 10. Hey, at some point when you were putting that article together, were you like, damn it, why weren't you like number 44? I, Dude, I, I like I said in the piece, if he hadn't taken off that number seven jersey and gave yeah. it to Phil Esposito, I, <laughs> I would have been done. This would have been 400 words. I would have had a whole afternoon, a uh, couple of them off. Um, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. 
this is why they're they asked me do you want to do the mcdavid one nope nope this is already uh this is already too much exactly so look i i think it's interesting because I, there's a great look no one's gonna debate bobby Orr is number one all time and it's, it's not a contest I, on defense i i really well, don't think it's a, right i i i don't think it is um it, but it I do shouldn't. know that there's some there's some crazy Red Wing fans out there who will I, but, because because I say you know as what I think you're getting to is I made the case where I said I think Ray Bork is number two of all time. I've got nothing against Nick Lidstrom. I love Nick Lidstrom. He's a fantastic player. I see the argument for him. But I think Ray Bork number two defenseman of all time. And I've got Red Wing fans coming at me going, "Um, well, we're assuming that you mean that Lidstrom's number one." <laughs> and it's like, guys. Nick Lidstrom was fantastic, but I, let's, I don't know. Let's have the conversation, at least. that That's my only point. I'm not even saying definitively, hey, plant the flag, Ray Bork was better than Nick Lidstrom, and if you don't, you don't agree with me, you're wrong. I'm not doing that. What I am doing is I'm making the case, and I'm saying at some point, it feels like we decided this was settled, that you have Orr number one and Lidstrom's number two, and that if there's any debate, it's over, should Lidstrom even go past Bobby Orr as, as number one? And I'm just holding up Ray Bork going, just about everything that Nick Lidstrom ever did, Ray Bork did it too. And, uh, you know, yeah, Lidstrom had more championships on a far better team, had a few more Norrises. You know, you look at the different awards and how the voting went, it, it sort of breaks out, uh, you know, you can make the case for both of them. But Ray Bork's numbers off the charts, even given the era he's in. And I don't, I feel like there's, a whole generation of fans who maybe missed Ray Bork in his prime or maybe missed him entirely that have been hearing about how great Nicholas Lidstrom is. And he is, you know, nothing you've heard about Nicholas Lidstrom's greatness has, has been wrong, but they're sort of missing out on the fact that there was another guy not that far before him who did pretty much all of the same things. And in some cases did them better. So I, like, I think where I come down, look, I say, or number one, I don't think there's any argument to be had. And I hate, I hate that. I hate that. You would have a thing where you would say there's no there's no argument. Bobby Orr is the greatest defense. I really don't think there is. I mean, who's it's, ever it's, played the game? Yeah, and and yeah. completely. And we so never even saw him play. Completely changed the position. The only argument you could make to me against Bobby Orr is just hey, injuries shorten the career, and you know he, he. But but even then, what he was able to do in ten years uh, surpasses, in my mind, anything that. Pretty much anyone else did because the entire game is unrecognizable now because of because Bobby Orr showed up and ch and changed how it was played. Right, and so to me, the debate on who is if you're going to have a debate with with, with people over who's number two, which I think is that's where the debate de uh, begins. Mm -hmm. I think I think Bork's in the conversation. I think Lidstrom's in the conversation. I think Denny Potvin's in the conversation, and you know, there's going to be some people who say Paul Coffey and. Yeah, it's tough because you know coffee i think he was he was i think he's probably the best skater out of them all uh but it felt Paul like coffee might be the best skater ever in the history in any of any position yeah he, and he is he is right up there as best offensive defenseman other than bobby Orr, uh and he is better defensively than he gets credit for the knock on him is always well he was just a fourth forward he couldn't play defense yeah he could he you know much like you know, an Eric Carlson today or something like that. There's, there's people who go overboard on the defensive side of things. So I got a lot of time for Paul Coffey. Um, not enough, not enough to put him ahead of a Lidstrom or Bork, but he's, he was real good. 
Yeah. And anyway, and, and I, like I said, Denny Potvin, I ended up writing the piece on, on Denny for uh, NHL 99. And I think when you look at his, the totality of his career and you see that he captained four Stanley Cups in a row, 19 playoff series in a row, 100 points as a defenseman in the season, uh, played a real mean, physical, nasty style, uh, multiple Norris trophies. And, and I think, you know, where Denny had the disadvantage was like he was like right, came right in or shadow. Right. And it was kind of like, yeah. okay, now you're up. And hey, it was going to be impossible to fill those shoes or, you know, follow in those footsteps. But I think, however, like, and I hate what happens with these debates is you end up tearing down Bork or Lidstrom or Potvin or Coffee. And I don't think any of them, I, I, if you want to come in with any of those guys and say that guy deserves to be number two, I will listen to that argument all day. And I think that there's validity to all of those arguments and i think that to me is is the best debate going is who's who's the second best defenseman of all time because i think yep. it's a great debate and now it, it is other- and it, it and it's and it's a fun one and uh it's it's a tough one i'll tell you this is not this is not an easy thing it's not the other thing i want to sneak in real quick uh dan robson did a great piece on patrick wall yeah being number 11 all time and i i like the the comments on that story were twofold. Number one, and Dan Robson is, um, I believe, the best feature writer uh, in sports. And that's not meant to disrespect anybody else. Dan just has a way with words. So the, the, the comments that came in were twofold. One was, holy smokes, Dan Robson's an unbelievable writer. And two, how the hell is Patrick Wall not the number one goalie of all time? Because people can now kind of read the writing on the wall. They see that Dominic Hasek hasn't been named on this list, so he's to come. Where do you fall on Patrick Waugh, four-time Stanley Cup winner, uh, all of the accolades, all of that stuff, A, not being top 10 all-time, but B, maybe more importantly, not being listed as the number one goaltender of all time? Yeah, it's 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 tough. I mean, not being top 10, I mean, you, Patrick Waugh sounds like a guy who should be a top 10 all-time. We, we keep saying all-time. This is of modern history. Right? This is 67 and after. Um, he feels like he should be in the top 10, but then, okay, which of the guys that are in the top 10 are you taking out? You know, I mean, you've, you've seen Borks there. Everyone can figure out who the nine players to come are. Um, which one of those guys do you take out for Patrick Waugh? There's some arguments, you know, there, there's, uh, there's, you know, some guys, but it's, it's easier. A lot of times with something like this, the way people react to it is they don't, they don't make their own list. They sit down and they go like, they just put people in tears and go like, who, you know, where, who feels like they should be in the top 10? And yeah, next thing you know, you got 15 guys on that list and you're going, you idiots. How could these guys all not be in the top 10? Well, we've only got 10 spots and you've got more names than that that feel like they deserve it. The the debate between Juan Hasek and, you know, you can throw Broder in there too. Uh, I know Devils fans would, would, would consider it a three-way race. It's always a tough one. I mean, Juan did it longer. Wa had the, you know, he had the cups and, and look, I've pushed back on the idea of using cups as a, a measuring stick for, for players. I, I made that case in the Marcel Dion piece, but you know, for a starting goaltender, I, I'll, I'm willing to give it a little bit more, uh, um, weight maybe. And the fact that, that Wa didn't, you know, wasn't just on cup winning teams, but you know, single-handedly almost in some of those cases, uh, certainly with the, the two with the Habs felt like he was the main reason that they won those Stanley cups. Hasek at his peak, I've never seen anyone uh, dominate like he did and uh, never seen anyone put up the, the numbers. And again, we we talked last week, I think, about 
era adjusted stats. And, you know, you could look at Hassett and go, well, were his numbers really that good? Because he played in the dead puck era. Adjust them for era. Uh, and he still comes out miles ahead of everyone else. I mean, he's he's out there putting up um, numbers that are far beyond any of his peers at the time. Wins two MVPs, which is almost unheard of for goaltenders in the modern era. You know, if I've got one game to win... I probably want peak Dominic Hasek as my goalie. I, I don't think anyone has ever been better. But if I have one career, I might be tempted to flip over to, to Patrick Watt because Hasek, you know, he 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 started late in the NHL, was was really a non-factor for the first couple of years, was a very good goaltender for his age, you know, the, later in his career. But, you know, he really had that maybe 10-year window where he was truly dominant, whereas Watt had more than that. Um so it kind of comes out, what do you want? Do you want the peak or do you want the full career? It's a it's a tough debate. It's a fun one. And 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 the one of the things that Dan covered in that great piece on Patrick Watt was his impact on the game. We talked about how Bobby Orr changed yeah. the whole game. Patrick Watt kind of did too. And he doesn't really get a lot of credit for that. And I thought it was great that Dan brought it up. Like the butterfly style. Um, you know, if if you've ever watched highlights of Danny Poffin and the Islanders in the early 80s, you know, going up against Gretzky and the Oilers, and you're yeah. going like, what looks weird about this? And you know, I can't quite, and you realize it's the goalies. The goalies are all playing this, this totally different style stand than up. what we're used to today. They're playing the stand-up style and, you know, the couple variations of it. And you go, well, what, what changed that? Why does everybody play differently now? I mean, Pat, Patrick Watt didn't invent this stuff, but he is the reason that everybody, like, I mean, imagine coming into a sport, playing a different style, and by the time you leave the sport, everybody from little kids getting on the ice for the very first time up to all your peers in the league are all playing the style that you brought in. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. Thankfully, Dominic Hasek did not have that effect because imagine if we had We'd 32 goalies torn, out there just flopping around on their back and uh, all that sort of stuff. That would be some Torn adductor muscles and all that stuff. Yeah, yep. Hasek, he was uh, atypical. And that, I think that's what... He was almost a circus freak. And I say that in a positive way. Like... In, in with the in the most endearing way, like he was so flexible and 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 just it was almost like you 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 can't believe what you're seeing and and I think the debate between these two it's almost like and again I you know I always try and turn this into an NFL podcast but mm-hmm. you know there's be a lot of people in who the say 49ers the 49ers fan that you are that's right uh, you know Emmett Smith is the greatest running back of all time and sure if you look at it statistically. Absolutely. He might be the, the best of all time. But some people tell you, man, give me peak Barry Sanders, right? Like like mm-hmm. Barry in his prime. And like, so it's it's the same debate. Like, would you rather have one guy's career or would you rather have one guy at his absolute peak? And I think, again, I don't want this to turn into something where you're slagging Waugh or you're slagging Hasha because there's really, there's no wrong answer. You're going to probably end up, spoiler alert, whoever you pick to win, uh, to, to play your game seven, your fictitious game seven, you're probably going to win. With mm-hmm. that guy as your goalie, but it's it's truly remarkable to see some of the comments here as as we get into the top ten, right? Because it's um, you know it's uh, it's a it's a great debate, but I, I think as we get closer to and the final list kind of gets put out, I think that's when people are going to really step back in February and say like, ah oh, man, that guy was too high or that guy was too low, and it's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of fun. And and that's yeah, that's that's part of it. It's part of why we do this, and uh, it's it's interesting. Um, and uh, once people see the whole list, I think that'll be when you can really get in and pick it apart. And, uh, and you know, that'll be interesting to, to watch. Let's open up the mailbag, shall we? You can uh, hit us up at the Athletic Hockey Show 
at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail too at 845-445-8459. 845-445-8459. All right. Let's open up some emails here. Last week, uh, I was talking about, hey, I went out to watch a Dallas Cowboys playoff game in a bar. Never done that before. They won. And by the way, I didn't go out to... Maybe this is why they lost. I went Wait to a, a friend's... I went to a oh, friend's after house. After all of that, you didn't go back? I didn't. I didn't. Oh, I went to a friend's... I left well. my house. I went to a friend's house who's a huge a Cowboys house. fan. Mm. Should have changed. And we watched the man. game together. So oh. anyway, maybe, maybe this is on me, but... How about this one? Uh, we got a couple of emails coming in here. Emily in Colorado. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Emily in Colorado writes and love the show. I know this is a little bit too late to save Ian and his Dallas Cowboys, but I did want to tell you about my playoff watching superstition this past season. I'm a diehard Colorado Avalanche fan. So too is my best friend. So we watch the games together whenever we can. Early in the second round, we watched a game at her house, got so distracted by the game that we burnt the hell out of part of the dinner we were making. The Avs won that game, and given the whole Colorado can't get out of round two narrative that was floating around, we figured we had to stick with it. So we decided we had to keep watching Avs games at her house, make Mexican food every time, and burn part of it. I'm not saying that we're responsible for the Avs Cup last season, but I'll say this. They lost every game where we tried mixing it up and going out to a watch party and they lost the game where we made Mexican food, but forgot to burn it. That comes in All from right, Emily me, in Colorado. Emily, I, Emily, I'm going to set you straight right here. You are absolutely responsible for them winning the Stanley Cup. Yep. 100%. I mean, based on what you just described, I mean, if you have, if you've got a superstition that works some of the time or most of the time, I mean, you got to break it out. But if it works all of the time, that's on you. Emily should have her name on the cup. I mean, this is, this clearly... The burnt Mexican food was uh, the key. I'm wondering, like, what do you, like, okay, so, like, and you decided that you had to burn part, like, what are you burning every, like, are you burning, like, the refried beans? Like, I don't want my meat, like, yeah. like if you're putting steak or chicken, don't burn that, right? Like, you burn. No, I mean, I feel like tortilla, this is probably, burn a, we might need more information here, but I feel I, it's like, it's like one, one of the nacho chips gets left in the, in the oven sort of thing. Okay. It's, it's, it's you, a little, a little symbolic sacrifice symbolic sacrifice yes but i want to know like you're not eating the burned part right emily Didn't like you're just burning it as like you said it. yeah I, it's a I, sacrificial I would, thing well, i would hope so i i tell you if, if she was eating burnt mexican food every playoff game then absolutely needs her name on the cup and there may need to be a banner ceremony as well yeah if you're exactly if you're eating it 100%. 100%. Okay, one more uh, email, kind of along these same lines. Uh, Andrew in Toronto writes into the podcast, I was listening to the most recent Thursday show. Show I, too, not really the type of guy that goes out to watch a game in a bar, but as, as a Leafs fan, the risk of having to sit in public with my inevitable disappointment just seems like a bad idea. In 2013, I sat in my room, didn't move or speak for 30 minutes after the Leafs lost that game seven against Boston. But I did have one great experience watching a game in a bar back in 2010 during the winter Olympics. I was living overseas in England with an eight hour time difference. I found myself having to wake up in the middle of the night to watch most of team Canada's games, but the gold medal game that was on a Sunday at eight o'clock PM local time. So me and a few other Canadians uh, we met up at the Maple Leaf Pub in London, and this time, uh, at this time, I was feeling pretty homesick. So to be around so many Canadians watching this game 
was awesome. I still remember the anxiety before overtime. The eruption when Sid scored was amazing. Hands down, the best sports viewing experience of my life. A life in P.S. Sean, I too have never seen Titanic or Avatar. That's from Andrew in Toronto. There's more of us than you would think, Andrew. Uh, the Titanic. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of act. I mean, apologies to James Cameron, but uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, it's there's there's more of us than you think, man. I'm torn on this story because that to to watch a Team Canada game uh, in you know in especially with all these fellow Canadians in another country, that sounds phenomenal. But it sounds phenomenal because they won. He says it was the best sporting experience, you know, watching Crosby score the goal. But, ooh, if if that had gone the other way, I don't know. That would have been a rough one. I uh, um, I, I don't know if I would have the guts to go watch an Olympic gold medal game out there. But then, you know, uh, in England, boy, you might have to. I but mean, you're at a Canadian you, bar, that, right? Like you're surrounded yeah, by. You're, exactly. You're surrounded. Uh, you're, you, you, you'd feel like home. Maybe I would. Maybe you'd be able to get me, drag me out there. Although I probably would have left uh, before overtime. You know, after remember the Americans scored like a minute left to tie it up. I that's I would have been I would have packed. You'd it have up. been out. Yeah, like yeah. I guess you know what? Like watching. Were a you game not overseas, tempted at his friend's house at some point as the game wasn't going well to get over to that bar from the week before? Like that <laughs> thought must have entered your mind at some point, right? Yeah, like it did. Okay. Ah, uh, I know. Didn't want it bad I know. Enough. All right. No, exactly. Okay. This one. This one's on me. Let, let, let me sneak one more email in. This one is from Adam. Uh, Ian and Sean, longtime listener, first time caller, shall we say, uh, amidst another terrible season for the Blue Jackets, uh, rookie Kirill Marchenko has 10 goals and no assists. Has there ever been a player to finish a season with double digit goals and no assists? I feel like at some point you'd get a phantom secondary helper just by being on the ice. That's from Adam. Yep, and uh, yes, I'm looking at the list right now. He would be, uh, Marchenko would would set the record if we're talking at the modern era. According to uh, Hockey Reference, there are five guys, including Marchenko, who have had double-digit goals with no assists. But Can all I of guess them on these guys? From, uh, you can. I'd be pretty impressed. Okay, I'm going to go punch Broadbent. Correct. I'm going to go Normie Himes. I'm going to go Pitlapine. Okay, all right. That's, and I'm going to yeah, go John, right. give me John McKinnon with the 26-27 yeah. uh, Pittsburgh team. Am I right? You got it, I, but you got him in the wrong there? order, so I'm only giving you half marks. So yeah. That, that's, anyway, that's, I, I looked I it up as well. So that was yeah, so that's the 1920s uh, and, you know, a couple things going on there. Uh, mainly, though, just they, they don't record assists the, the same way as we did. They're, they're not always, um, you know, marked in the record, so... Um, yeah, the closest, uh, in, in recent times, Eric Nystrom, seven goals, no assists, 2015, 16 predators, as well as Dan Quinn for the 93, 94 senators. So, uh, yeah, we're in a Wait, little Dan bit of Quinn? uncharted territory. Dan Quinn with but the senators, 93, the, 94. But the, but that must've been a split season for Dan Quinn. Like he must've played somewhere else. No, no he played uh, just 13 games. Uh, for the Ottawa Senators, 93-94. So I'm not, uh, I'm checking uh, to see if he was in the minors or if it was maybe an injury situation. I'm not sure. It doesn't look like he, uh, oh, he played in Switzerland. Okay, so there you go. So he he looks like he spent most of his uh, season uh, overseas. And then either, I can't tell if he came back or if he, uh, 
left at some point, as a lot of people, I'm sure, wanted to do on that Senators team. Yeah, he he only joined the Senators in mid-March and played for a month, scored seven goals, recorded no assists, and that was it for his Ottawa Senators career. He was on to uh, the Kings the next year. There you go. All right. Let us wrap up this edition of the Athletic Hockey Show like we always do on a Thursday with a little This Week in Hockey History. So you're going to rip through some things that happened this week uh, years ago. Let's start with this. January 25th, 1986. Paul Coffey, who we were just chatting about earlier in the pod. Uh, Paul Coffey sets an NHL record for the longest point streak ever by a defenseman. Do you know offhand, Sean, how many games that was? No. Obviously, I was going to ask you. It's, uh, yeah. Let me think. All right. What's 80s? your guess? What's that? I'm going to say, well, I'm thinking it's the 1980s, so yeah. it's, it's going to be higher than you would see. Uh, is it 20 games? Okay, that's a good It's a good guess because I had no idea what the record is for a defenseman. Uh, 28 mm-hmm. games. Paul Coffey had a point in 28 wow. straight games. Okay, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really impressive and yet maybe not completely shocking because as we said, Paul Coffey was a fantastic player and certainly that Oilers team scored a ton of goals on those stand-up goalies who hadn't, Hadn't learned how to play for Patrick Waugh yet. Yeah. I, do you feel like that's un, unbreakable might be too strong of a word, but like that feels hard that that's going to be caught, right? Like 28 I mean, games. It, it's it it's hard way, to even think of a forward getting to 28 games, right? Look at look at how much attention Mitch Marner got for getting into the 20s this year as a forward. Yeah. So imagine a defenseman doing it. I mean, I know, look, Eric Carlson's doing stuff from the blue line this year that nobody thought we'd see a defenseman do anytime soon, but... I can't imagine a defenseman getting to 28 in, in, in an era where we're, we're lucky if we get six goals a game. Uh, January 25th, 2014, th- we're, we're, we're nine years removed from this. We're almost 10 years removed from this, wow. and I believe you were there. Dodgers mm-hmm. Stadium hosts an outdoor game. Anaheim blanks the Kings 3-0. What do you remember from that? It, it was fantastic. It was so much fun. Uh, I have so many great memories of those that day, including getting – uh, stranded at Dodger Stadium by a uh, cab driver who uh, it let me out and I had to like hop a fence in the outfield to get in. Uh, I got to stand next to Vin Scully without realizing it. I got to watch Kiss play. Uh, I got to watch, you know, the marching band come out and Wayne Gretzky and all of that. It, it was it was fantastic. It was a, a complete success. I know a lot of us were skeptical, like, oh, you're going to do an outdoor game in California. They pulled it off beautifully. The whole event was amazing. I never, I'm a, I'm a huge baseball fan. I never been to Dodger Stadium, so I had you know a chance to go out and, and do that. Um, I, I I remember my number one memory of that was being there in the stands and everything was going on. And I was texting with my wife, and I remember at one point I texted her something along the lines of like, "Hey, if I ever if I get to do this for a living for a while, and I ever become one of those guys who gets like so cynical that I don't realize how much fun this is, like." Please slap me in the head because this is amazing. Um, and it, it really was just like uh, an, an absolute A-plus of an event uh, and full credit to uh, the NHL, but especially the Kings and, you know, L.A. and the fans out there. It was it was amazing. Yeah. Hey, listen, you mentioned Wayne Gretzky. By the way, we'd be remiss if we didn't say happy birthday uh, to Wayne Gretzky today as we uh, record this yeah. episode on Thursday. Uh, the great one turns 62. So uh, happy birthday to Wayne Gretzky. Uh, today, born on this date uh, in 1961 in Brantford. One more, though. Let me sneak one more in here. We're going to January 26, 1975, where Guy Lafleur scored four goals in a game of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Reason why I bring this up, trivia time. 
for you, Sean. How oh, many four-goal games did Guy Lafleur have during the course of his NHL career? Hmm. Okay. Again, 70s, lots of scoring back then. Uh, Guy Lafleur's phenomenal player on a phenomenal team. I'm going to say he had five four-goal games. Five four-goal games. Would you believe that this was Guy Lafleur's only four-goal game ever in the NHL? I f- this I'm surprised me. by that. that I, find, I, I, I do find that hard to believe, yeah. Yes. He. I would have figured... Huh. Guy Lafleur would have had five, six, whatever, four-goal yeah. games. Uh, yeah, I looked up NHL.com. So Guy Lafleur had the only four-goal game of his career on this date, 1975, over Pittsburgh. It's especially in, in that era where, you know, not only did, did you have great players, great teams, high scoring, there were some terrible teams. Like, there were, I mean, he's out there playing the the scouts and the uh, and the Golden Seals and the Capitals and teams like that. Uh, wow. I, yeah, I am, I'm very surprised that he only had one. Yeah. All right. So listen, we'll we'll leave it there. We, we we're gonna tee up a couple of episodes coming up next week. Uh, the Tuesday Boys, uh, Custance and Gentilly, are going to have Ryan Miller, who was just uh, honored by the Buffalo Sabers uh, this month. Uh, Ryan Miller gonna drop by the Tuesday edition of the podcast. That does it for this Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Of course, uh, we'll be back uh, with you next week, and I'm sure we'll have a lot to. Uh, to tackle after those two shows. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to this latest edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. You can always email us uh, any questions that you have at theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com or as I said, love to hear your voice. You can leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. Right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey.